0: Hi, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm Lisa, your host, and this podcast is in partnership with PR Daily. PR Daily is a great resource for communicators like me I drop in there to get my training to get more information about what's going on in the industry and really just to learn more about what my colleagues are up to as well so to find more episodes of the podcast please join me there at prdaily.com or uh, join me at the website which is fridayreporter.com and if you like the show be sure to leave a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts because that really helps get the word out about the podcast and the work that we're doing here to get you guys to know more about the reporters that cover your industry. Hello, and thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast. Here we are. We're in the throes of Washington, D.C., in the middle of uh, a very, very busy news day. We're lucky enough to be today. I'm lucky enough to have Ben Pershing, the politics editor from The Wall Street Journal, with me. Ben, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. So, Ben... You have been now, uh, at the journal for, it looks to me maybe about two years, but you have spent your, uh, the bulk of your career at big time, Washington, DC, uh, news publications. Talk to me a little bit about your background and how you got started.
1: Uh, sure. Yeah. So I'm originally from Los Angeles and grew up and raised there and went to, went to Cal, uh, Berkeley for college and moved to DC right after college, basically, mm. um, Hoping to get a job in journalism, but also wasn't wasn't sure if I would be able to. So I kind of was spraying my resume all over town, as people do. And one of the things people recommended to me when I moved here was, if you're looking for a job, you should look in the Roll Call classified ads. Um, You know that the the job listings in the print version of Roll Call, the commercial newspaper, was as you know like just full of job ads of all kinds over Washington. So I was looking was looking there for any kind of job opening, and it just so happened that Roll Call had an opening in their own classifieds for an editorial assistant which was sort of their most entry-level job mm. um which back in the in the pre-tech days involved like uh getting stuff off the fax machine and making copies and dealing with snail mail um and being an assistant to mort Kondraki, who was an editor there at the time who yeah. a lot of people will know mm-hmm. and so i started off in that kind of entry-level job doing all that kind of stuff and also pretty early on helping the copy desk at roll call you know do you know look for typos and clean up stories and it was a good way to get started um and then pretty soon after that i got to start writing another thing people will know if they've ever been on capitol hill the hill climbers column in roll call mm-hmm. where you mm-hmm. wrote about uh who's been hired and who's been promoted and who's changed jobs it was actually a really great way to know get to know the hill and people on the hill and how things worked i bet um and i yeah and i just I ended up working my way up steadily at roll call through the copy desk into being a full-time reporter, uh, did campaign coverage there, um, committees slash policy coverage, and then for a while was the um, the what was called kind of the House leadership reporter, mm-hmm. covering at the time the House Republican majority of you know Tom Delay and Denny Hastert and that whole group. Mm-hmm. That's when um, we became that friends. Maybe when you and I first met. <laughs> Probably. Um, and we we know lots of mutual people through there, and it was a, you know obviously a pretty exciting, interesting, fun time to cover the Hill. And there was a lot going on. Uh, and then I became an editor at Roll Call for a couple of years and did that. And then uh, I moved over in 2008 to The Washington Post um, as a congressional blogger and then a congressional reporter. Yeah. Um, and I was there for five years uh, and ended up actually spending the majority of my time there, which was a fun job, as what's called the the local delegation reporter, meaning I covered the Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. congressional delegation. And the senators And the House members. Yeah. And it was fun because it was just, you got to do all the local politics. I did the Virginia governor race. I did, you know, the Senate race between Tim Kaine and George Allen. Um, I did some fun Maryland congressional races. And uh, it's actually a good beat. And I, I like doing that.
0: Mm-hmm. So I
1: did that for a while. And then I moved over to National Journal. This sort of, new, at the time it was a print magazine and website. It is now just a website that people may have heard of um, right. as an editor and spent five years at National Journal as an editor um, doing a lot of campaign stuff, some Congress, uh, if people don't know National Journal, they they uh, own the Hotline, the campaign tip sheet, and they do a lot of congressional coverage. Right. And then um, in 2019, just over three years ago, is when I moved over here to the, the Wall Street Journal as politics editor, and so I, that's where I did. I said two,
0: but COVID, you know, sort of sucked up some time. So forgive me for okay. my time. It's a,
1: it's a blur. I don't totally remember <laughs> either.
0: But it's um, and so now it looks to me, based on the coverage that I'm that I'm seeing, you're really sort of. You're the politics editor, and I want you to talk to me a little bit about what that means at the journal, but it looks to me like you're really spending a lot of time, not only, um, it's like a vantage point of all of, a culmination of all the work that you've done, really, some White House, uh, some national politics, and Capitol Hill as that all intersects. Is that right?
1: It is right. I mean, I spent probably the, I spent the bulk of my career doing Congress, Congressional Coverage as a reporter and editor. But also at various times I've edited White House, edited campaign coverage, and as a reporter, you know, some campaign, some Congress. So, yeah, I am getting to do all of it now, which is really great for me. So I do have um, White House coverage, Congress coverage, campaign coverage, and some policy all all under me, which is great because I get to, like, cross over in all these different areas. And if one area is quiet, the other area is busy. Of course. You know, <laughs> like you have phases where obviously, the, you know, like you have a campaign year where it's nothing but campaign coverage. And then it's, you know, what's called the off year, no campaigns. but Maybe you have a new congressional majority or you have a new White House administration to cover. And so there's always something some area that is always very
0: never a dull Uh, moment. And what
1: you're hoping what you're hoping not to have is all of them be super busy and overheated at the same time. We've had some periods like that and it's hard to know kind of where to put your emphasis. But most of the time, it's it's more one or the other that's busy.
0: Do you have a team of folks that you work with there at the Journal? You must.
1: Yeah, I have, the team is, I lose track of the exact number. The politics team is about two dozen people total. So I have um, a, few ed- a few editors who work under me and then a White House team of reporters, a congressional team of reporters, a team of reporters that really just focuses on campaigns and then a couple of policy reporters who also report to me. So I have, and, you know, there's, there's some deputy editors, obviously, who, who, who run those individual teams and then I'm, I'm in charge of them. And in an ideal world, um, those editors steer a lot of the coverage and edit a lot of the stories and I'm able to um, kind of look more broadly across all these things and, and, edit stories. So I edit a good number of stories, but in ideal world because I have really good editors who work under me. They do a lot of the editing and I can do more of the like dropping in when I need to, to sure. in or say what I think. Um, sure.
0: Yeah. Well, at this point, right, you're, <clears throat> you've got the the experience where you get to be a little bit of a, a broader thinker, a sort of a, you know, look from the top down in, in terms of how that coverage comes. The one thing I have been undercut, you know, sort of uncovered over the course of the last year and a half is that, you know, I, I've been pitching stories for, I don't know, 30 years, a long time, it feels like a lifetime. It is. And, um, but the one thing that I really have come to realize is that as much as journalists are sitting in a place where they are being pitched from the outside in, you also spent a great deal of time as a journalist anyway, pitching to the editor and so you spend a lot of time then sort of consuming these pitches as they're coming through not just from um, you know from the outside in but also from inside the organization and I'm curious, is there um during the trump administration it felt as if much of what was getting through was through the lens of how is this affect how, how is the white house part of this story and that, maybe that wasn't always true for the publications mm-hmm. you were at but when i was pitching uh, i you know the, regardless of what the story was i had to figure out a way that that would in some way have a little brush up on what was going on in the administration will you talk to me a little bit about the kinds of pitches that that you get maybe maybe not so much in this role but in the past What kinds of things do you think work now? The world has changed since we got started, but today is a little different.
1: But just because you're talking about pitches from outside folks rather than pitches internally like the recorders pitching me stories.
0: I'm curious more because I've spent a lot of time – thank you for asking me to clarify. I'm more curious about the pitches – that come to you from your journalists in terms of what is it? How are you, how are you looking? What's the prism that you look through in order to say, yes, that's something I think I want you to go run down. Or do you often get a chance to help folks sort of steer the, the way that their stories are unfolding?
1: It's a good question. I mean, one thing, um, I've tried to do as an editor, but don't always succeed is I don't personally think Having really editor-driven coverage produces the best stories and the best journalism Mm. um, because, you know, journalists tend to be the ones who know best their subjects and they're the ones actually talking to sources. And they're the ones out on the road talking to voters or they're the ones at the federal agency working the hallways, whatever your beat is. They're closest to the ground. And I get worried sometimes when editors try to dictate what a story should say. Mm. Um, so I'm very conscious of that. Uh, that said, I do sometimes say, I think we should do a story on XYZ or I have an idea. But in an ideal world, the story starts with the reporters, the idea. And if I can, I'll help them sh- shape the idea. Sure. So, like Sometimes reporters will come and say, this is happening this week and it's interesting. Or I just heard this tidbit and it's interesting. And then sometimes, you know, they come with a fully baked idea, like, and I know how this fits into a larger story, and I can show what it means, and here's how it's interesting. And, and because I'm fortunate enough to work at the journal, and we have a lot of really good reporters,
0: mm-hmm. sometimes
1: it's all kind of, like, fully baked already. Sure. And I'm able to just say, like, great, <laughs> you know, go, go do that. Um, sure, sure. other times, like, they just have part of, they just have part of an idea, and then I say, okay, well, that's interesting. Is this part of a pattern? And, you know, are there two other times this person has done this or are there other races around the country where this is happening? And can we show a pattern? Can we show a theme? Um, Can we, I guess I'll step back for a second. One thing I found as a challenge as a reporter, as a beat reporter was. How can I write a story that's interesting to people who are not interested in my beat? You know, like it's one thing to write for for junkies on a particular topic,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: like. You know, if you're an energy wonk, you're going to love this energy story. And if you're a Virginia politics wonk, you're going to love my story about Virginia politics. But the real challenge is, how do I write the story and make it interesting to a broader audience? Sure. So same thing when if reporters come to me with something, sometimes I'm like, that sounds really interesting, but how can we make it interesting to a broader readership, to a broader audience? How can we grab people who didn't think they wanted to know about this topic in Washington, but we're going to make it so interesting that they want to know. So, um, there's a bunch of different ways it can come up. You know, I, I meet with the different teams that are under me once a week, and we we brainstorm. You know, we, yeah, we throw sure. ideas out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes I'll just, you know, obviously be reading. I read a lot, as you do, I'm sure. I read competition, and I read all the newsletters, and I, I read aggregation, and I look at Twitter. And sometimes, you know, things just fly by, and I'm like, "Oh, that's interesting," and I and I I share it with the reporter and pitch to them. Um, and then the other thing to keep in mind is you know, I'm not the boss of the Wall Street Journal. I have layers of editors of course. above me, sure. I, have to, I have to pitch to them. Mm-hmm. So, like, sometimes reporters will pitch to me, and I'll be like, that sounds good. How can I now turn and convince my boss or bosses that we should do this story? Right. And, like, what's the framing that we need? Is this the right lead, or do we need to do something differently here? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, it can be as simple as, like, do we have what you call an anecdotal lead, where we start with a person and then get to the idea? Or is it more like what we call a straight news lead, where we're like, "Here is the news," right? You know, and every story's a little different about what what I think is best, and also what I think the editors above me will think is best,
0: right? No, and, and that to me, I think over the course of the last even the last couple of weeks, I've had a chance to to visit with some journalists that are sort of not a big chunk of my conversations are with colleagues and friends that you know. Um, But I've recently Mm -hmm. started to sort of branch out into some other spaces where, you know, it it just, it dawned on me that so much of, you know, as PR people, I mean, I feel like a teenager, like everything that's important to me, everybody should care about, right? (laughs) Which is what I constantly Mm -hmm. do with my children at home. But then you start to realize that the pitch actually, it comes to the reporter first, but then there's so many other layers. Um, And the journalist actually has a, Big responsibility to pitch that story up and through the ranks. How do you mm-hmm. find um, because because so much of what you do is translating uh, politics in Washington, and Washington D.C. and sort of the broader issues of the day here that happen inside the Beltway out to uh, to Wall Street and to the world. How does that? how does that play into what you do every day? I mean, you obviously, to your point, you're, you're looking to appeal to a broader audience and not just the folks here inside the Beltway.
1: How does it play into like my coverage every day of figuring out yeah. how to appeal to a broader audience? Yeah, that we're... yeah. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, it matters because also the other thing to keep in mind, um, and this, this something crosses your mind when you've worked at more than one place, as I have, is every place I've ever worked has had a different audience. Right. Um, so like, what's an interesting story at Roll Call? wasn't what was necessarily an interesting story to the Washington Post. And then I went to National Journal. I kind of went from like an insider on trade publication to a broad audience place, Washington Post, back to a little bit more of an insider publication, National Journal, and then back to a broader audience at the Wall Street Journal.
0: Yeah.
1: But the Wall Street Journal audience is different from the Washington Post audience.
0: For sure. And all, you know, they're all
1: different. So like the bar for a story and the idea of like what appeals to a broad readership is different here. You know, we do have a big focus here on, Stories that touch on business, economy, and finance stuff. Mm-hmm. So, while not every story can touch on those things because we cover all kinds of politics, right. if there is an angle to be had on business, economy, or finance, we make sure we get it in there. And whereas, like other publications might put that halfway down the story, for us it might be the top. You Interesting. So that's something we think about because we know we know what our readers are interested in the most. Um, and you know, we, and, and we we have meetings. You know, we have like very smart teams of people who work on traffic and, you know, how to get us ranking in search and that kind of thing. And they'll tell us, right? Like, you know what our readers are really interested in right now is student debt or something like that. Uh-huh. And then we make sure like, oh, you know, sometimes if you're making a call on whether something's worth writing a story or not, you remember that like wow, our readers are really interested in this topic. So if it's a borderline question, we should just write the story.
0: Of course. You know, where
1: sometimes we're like, readers have not really been that interested when we've written about this before. So maybe we should not bend over backwards to get a story
0: out. Right. Well, because it takes a lot of effort regardless. I mean, there's a lot that goes into the building a story and to delivering it in a way that makes good sense to the audience. As you look back over your time as a journalist, is there a particular story? Is there a particular um, bit of coverage? Is there anything that sort of stands out as like a moment that you're like, wow, this was this was really cool and I'm really glad to have been part of that?
1: Let's see. Um, at the Wall Street Journal, I'll say the most fun I had was actually just within a couple months of starting here as an editor, I, I edited our story about how <laughs> Donald Trump wanted the U.S. to buy Greenland. Oh, uh, I don't know if you remember I, that story. I do remember that story, yes. Um, it was literally that he started asking his aides, like, hey, could, could we buy Greenland? How would we do it? How much would it cost? Wouldn't that be great? And it was one of those, like, you know, this happened a lot during the Trump administration where you're like, is this a serious thing? <laughs> or is he just kind of you know is he just like throwing ideas out there right but he's not serious how real is this so we took a lot of it actually took a lot of reporting efforts to to sort out that it it kind of was serious like it was kind of serious in his mind that he was serious about wanting to do it it was not serious that the u.s was ever actually going to do it right (laughs) but it was a super fun story to just to like edit and put together and get the tone right that like this is a serious idea, but it's also kind of a crazy idea. You know, how do you like hit both of those things in one story? So that was fun,
0: yeah. Um, and
1: I still kind of look fondly back at getting that out because we knew the reaction would be people being like, "Wait, really?" <laughs> Which is kind of a fun, a fun experience to have. The story, yeah. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, that 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 I mean, that's the one that stands out to me just as an enjoyable, right. you know, thing as an editor. I mean, we've done a lot of important. I've been lucky enough to help edit a lot of important coverage. You know, like. Presidential campaigns and impeachments and stuff, but I wouldn't necessarily call this fun.
0: (laughs) Right. Uh, The Greenland
1: one was fun. Um, (laughs) And then as a as a reporter, I I mean, I really liked just being on the campaign trail, and I actually really liked covering congressional races in a lot of ways because more so than in presidential races, you have like a lot of room to run when you're going to cover a House or Senate race. Right. Um, Presidential campaign coverage is like often you and a hundred other reporters pursuing very similar stories every day. Definitely. um, Whereas. The smaller the race um, has been it. I also really enjoy covering governor's race. Like you sometimes are the only reporter in an event. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and other reporters might not have even know this is happening. And you can really like, you can really find your own angle and grab voters, grab real people and hear what they say they think. And it's just like, I find it like in a lot of ways more rewarding than being part of a pack of people
0: covering the right. same story right? Those statewide races are fun. And even some of the local races too, because so many of the personalities come through so many, um, gotcha moments happen at small press conferences and other, I mean, there's just, there's so many I can think of like flashpoints over the course of the last many years that you and I've been doing this that happen in that, at that local level or at the congressional level that is so interesting. Are there, because this year is, first off, it's starting off already just so contentious and so um, just everything is happening all at once. It feels as if. um, Are there any trends that you're seeing? Is there anything that's standing out to you as um, something that you're going to be watching more closely as these congressional races start to roll out? Anything that's popping up to you? And the answer can be not yet. Um, But I'm curious because, you know, I always, I love when, I get a chance to chat with folks like yourself because I feel like you guys really are starting to see trends even as, as they begin to emerge.
1: It's um, a good question. I mean, it's hard it's hard to not just think of the big storylines we're already doing a lot on, which is right. inflation and then to some extent, like the wild card of abortion and the strong possibility that later this month the Supreme Court is going to come out with their ruling.
0: Mm -hmm. on Roe
1: v. Wade Mm -hmm. Um, so I know we've already written a lot about those subjects will be more I mean I guess the main thing you always look for in a midterm year is just relative energy like I think one reason right now Democrats are so worried and Republicans are so optimistic about November is that they're seeing energy and enthusiasm on the Republican side and seeing a lot of Democratic voters seem to be kind of like dejected or unenthusiastic and you know that doesn't mean they're going to go vote for Republicans it just means they might stay home right Um, and so right now, like you see, the ingredients for like one of these midterms where the president's party just loses a ton of seats because the oppositions fired up and the president's party, is. So like, and wh- I think his summer goes on. I was
0: gonna say, going to say, in history history will dedicate. I mean, history will dictate that that is likely to be the case regardless, because an incumbent president always almost, has losses.
1: Yeah, it almost always happens with the two notable exceptions of '98, right. um, when Clinton's party won because of impeachment, mm-hmm. which got the president's party fired up. And then 2002, which came right after 9-11, right. which got the president's party fired up. So That's you right. kind of need some big event to get the president's party to think that they need to show up and vote. And I guess some Democrats think that a Supreme Court ruling on, on Roe v. Wade might do that, mm-hmm. but like we really would need to see evidence before we believe it. You know, right. It's possible. Um, right. But right now, I don't see it yet. So, like when we're out this summer talking to voters, I think that's the thing we're going to be watching for: is like are Democrats just like disillusioned, or just like not, or just like content because they control everything? Yeah. Um, or are they fired up, being like, "Oh God, I have to go vote."
0: Yeah. Know? It feels like there's a lot of movement. It feels like there's a lot of noise and a lot of um, news that's really happening. It's just hard to really harness how much of that sentiment will really transfer into the voting booth. And I, I totally. Um, I'm watching that too. It just out, out of curiosity. Someone who's likes to consider herself retired from politics, um, Ben. When you're not busy uh, covering uh, all of these exciting issues and, and staying busy with the news, um, what's keeping you guys busy? You and your family busy uh, in the off time?
1: Uh, when I'm not working, yeah. Uh, um, in
0: the rare moment that you're not working, <laughs> um, are you? Are you getting? Are you catching it? <laughs> Go ahead, please, no. Well,
1: I was going to say ca- catching up on shows. Right. You know, we have our, like, our long our long library of shows, most of them about, like, crime and mysteries of murder. Yeah. My wife and I watch on, our, on the 27 different streaming services that we have. <laughs> um, you know, and then I was, like, just like getting to spend time with my kids that I don't always get to do on weeknights. Right. You know, like, I'm home on weeknights, but I may be working, like, right up until the time of going to bed. So, weekend weekends, it's, like figuring out, like, can we go to a movie this weekend? Can, you know, thank God, Memorial Day, We like, pools are open now. Yeah. So that's a... Huge. Finding time to go to the pool will now be a, a very uh, important component of our week. Like, no doubt. When are do we go to the pool? When are we going to the pool? <laughs> um, and, then, and then, you know, and then figuring out some stuff, as you know, it's like a um, non-stop, like, the kids are going from school straight to camp, and then straight to this, and straight to that, and are we prepared? So it's a lot of that kind of stuff.
0: Totally. Just like journalists, they're just like us. I mean... <laughs> Every time I start yeah, to think about like exactly. what's what's keeping every busy, it's the same thing for all of us. Just trying to keep the family together and do all the things that we need to do, and also sort of do our our day job. Also, um, any specific yeah. show that's standing out for you right now? Everybody's always looking for a good recommendation. Well,
1: well but this is this is journalism related. Um, we really liked we own this city the Oh. CEO show, yeah, um, which um, you know is based on a. a, a book by Justin Fenton, a Baltimore Sun reporter about <laughs> um, corrupt cops in Baltimore. And I just thought it was really good. Yeah. Really interesting. Really well done. We're, I was sorry
0: that it ended. Can't wait to watch it. Um, I was a big wire. I was big on the wire. Hat tip to Dan Ronayne who insisted that I see it and I've now seen it will,
1: twice. <laughs> you will like this too. It's an interesting, like, uh, I don't even want to say like a sequel, but it's an interesting follow up. Um, and then I also really like We um, Under the Banner of Heaven. Oh, yeah. The show. Just started is, it. Luc- loosely based on a very good book by John Krakauer, but I like it. I think that's a good one too. Um, I think that's it. My wife and I also joke, like we're always we're suckers for Scandinavian mysteries. So Interesting. we're constantly, like, scanning the streaming services, like, oh, look, there's a new Norwegian murder mystery show. And we're like, let's watch it. You know, we, we do a lot of that,
0: too. <laughs> I love it. Well, in our house, the one thing that we can all agree on is Marvel and Star Wars. So that's, like, a common denominator. All the teenagers and all the people that yes. live here can all agree that those are things that we can sit down and watch together. So whenever there's an opportunity for that, too. So I'm looking forward to getting into that Obi-Wan, mm-hmm. which I heard was We are
1: good. also, yeah, we're also watching the Obi-Wan show. Nice. You
0: go. Nice. All right. Well, we're getting to the end of our conversation, Ben, and I'm just, I'm super grateful because this is a super, super newsy week. Tell me, as I uh, continue to build my list of smart journalists and folks uh, that are media adjacent, who should I ask to be a future guest at your recommendation?
1: Good question. Um, And I'm not sure if this is someone you've already talked to, but I might recommend like my successor at National Journal, Jeff Dufour. Have you talked to him already? No, I have not. So, yeah, he was um, he he was an editor under me when I was editor of National Journal. And then when I left to come here to the Wall Street Journal, he was promoted to the top job there. And he's just an interesting guy, smart. He's uh, worked a few different places, Mm -hmm. um, including as a really good gossip columnist in D.C. So, you know, if you want to ask him about what that was like and then how you do that and also the serious things that he's done, uh, I think he'd be good at that.
0: Awesome. Well, I'll tell Jeff that you recommended him. And uh, I will look forward to your continued coverage this summer. Stay cool at the pool. uh, And thank you again so much for making time for me.
1: Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it.
0: And that's today's Friday Reporter podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much.